Welcome to this episode of Speak with Brandy B. Love. Today we have our special guest, Farah Tariq. She's a mindset mentor and spiritual coach who centers her guidance around play and self-expression. Welcome, Farah. Hi, Brandy. Thanks for having me. Hi. It's so nice to have you. This is a long time in the making. So I know. Congratulations on season two of your podcast. Thank you so much. And I'm really excited about, especially this play. I love to use play um, in so many aspects of my life and my own coaching as well. Um, I wanted to ask you, what do you want to start by sharing with the audience? What is sort of the, where you have arrived to and the beginnings of that? Yeah, well, honestly, at that mention of play, it really just brings me back and reminds me how much I keep coming back to that theme. Everything in my life, when I think about how I've gotten to where I am now, and I dig and dig and dig on the bottom of that is just giving myself more permission to be curious and play. I used to be a corporate attorney, and this whole journey has taken me from a corporate attorney to like multi-passionate, weird, fun fairy. <laughs> and I that's how I'm spending my life now. The things that I get to do day to day are really joy-led. And so that's been such a powerful shift for me from where I was in that corporate legal world. That's really encouraging to hear. I think for a lot of people out there that are reaching burnout, for example, but for me, it's encouraging because wondering and wandering and all of these things that feel like such a central part of my life and my journey. And just knowing that there's a tribe of us out there saying, this is okay. We've given ourselves permission and other people can have the permission to just let it flow. Mm, yes, that's been so comforting and validating for me too. finding this community, because there are so many people, I think, in all of our lives who are still in those limiting beliefs that we used to be in and can sometimes reflect that back to us like, oh, this isn't possible. That's a crazy idea. What are you doing? You need to do something safer and more secure. And I think those people are always going to exist. So it's so important to surround yourself with voices that are telling you that it's possible to chase your dreams because I find it so uplifting. And from that place, I can really soar and be even more inspired and do more. Mm, I really agree with that perspective. I resonate with it so much. So, you know, I've shared my story on this podcast before about where, how that started in my own journey, my childhood and whatnot. And so could you tell us a little bit about yours, where this, what led you into being a corporate lawyer and sort of where this aspect of being so playful came from? Like, was that something you had as a child? Is that something that you had as finding that you didn't do that? I think I really only fully realized last year how much my self-expression was limited when I was a child. My parents are both um, immigrants. I'm first generation, firstborn in the United States. My mom's from Mexico. My dad's from Pakistan. So they're from very different cultures, but they have a lot of things in common, which is why their marriage has worked. And so I grew up with some pretty strict rules and really a focus on academic achievement. Um, I have younger siblings. I'm the oldest sibling. So there was always a lot of pressure to achieve. And I really did well in school. I was always a good student and very smart. So I got a lot of validation and support in that area as well. So that was really my identity growing up, that I'm a good student. <laughs> and so I didn't have a lot of other interests, actually, or skills. I never considered myself artistic um, or creative. I thought, I'm really good at school. That's my thing. That's what my parents want me to be good at. How convenient. <laughs> and so there was a lot of pressure. Um, I remember in college thinking about <laughs> telling my parents that I was thinking about not going to grad school. And they just said that was unacceptable. <laughs> like you have to, we don't care which one, but they actually didn't mean that. They mean, uh, go be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> okay. They say you have to go to grad school and yeah, not some random masters that isn't going to lead to a specific profession. We want you to be a professional. So pick one. And I basically didn't want to go to school for another eight years or however long I would have needed to, to have a specialty in medicine that I would have been interested in. So that's pretty much why I decided to go to law school. Hmm. That's such a, you know, it's the more people are willing to share, be on a podcast, tell their stories, the more it becomes so clear that many people, vast amounts of people share a similar story within their culture scape, within their family scape. And I feel like that's really coming up now in this new generation of people to just say, hey, you know what, that didn't work 
that didn't work. And I'm seeing the people like in your generation or my generation, as they're willing to share the story, these younger people are saying, you know what, maybe it's okay for me to question this. Maybe it's okay for me to say, maybe there's some, um, as Vishen Lakiani, who created Mind Valley, says he calls them rules, which comes from bullshit rules that came from <laughs> family culture. And he went mm-hmm. through this. I mean, yep. he can speak of it firsthand. So I think that that can be really common. One thing that I wanted to speak of or bring up is this idea that you didn't feel you were a creative because that feels so sort of shocking to me to know because I really view you as an artist. Thank you. I love to hear that now. It's fun that there's like opportunities in my life that that is being reflected back to me and that I finally feel it. That was a story I had about myself for a really long time. And it was just that I didn't spend time on that. There wasn't value put on that in my family. They don't really understand the value of the arts or creativity in that way. And so it wasn't something that was very present at home. But I feel like my heart was always calling towards it. There were always certain things that I was so fascinated by, especially creative people. I always loved colorful hair and expressive tattoos and self-expression. And my mom was, you know, very much of this conservative uh, Mexican mom archetype that, you know, pretty little girls are supposed to be in these little white dresses and I'm not allowed to get them dirty. And so that's how I was. I was a very polite, well-behaved little kid for the most part that, and you know, to this day, some of that has carried over in a way that I enjoy. I'm very careful with my clothes. (laughs) I love my clothes, but yeah, it was very much um, in this box of like, this is how women are supposed to behave. Even with cursing to this day, she's like, it's not ladylike. You know, there's all these little things that I find is my self-expression now just naturally. And I notice the ways that it's not accepted fully now. And I think about little Farah, and I'm like, oh, well, she didn't even know. She didn't have enough awareness to um, know that that wasn't her fault or that that was just, you know, my parents' lens and the way that they view the world and what they thought was best for me. But it didn't have to um, be something that I internalize. But, you know, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> So I just thought, okay, well, these are the things that are acceptable about me. These are the things that aren't. This is how I get approval and really leaning into those. And that to me, that there's a straight line from that to me ending up in law school. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And I just want to share with our audience and you as well is that I even see that how much you use your body as a canvas. And it's so beautiful with the henna that you do. And it almost looks like clothing the way it's it's jewelry. It's so beautiful. Um, And your hair. And I'm sure as our audience gets to know you and follow you on social, they'll see just what I'm talking about. Um, So what happened when you got to law school? Like, how was that process? And how was it being a lawyer? What did that what did that bring up for you? Yeah, law school specifically was interesting because it was actually the first time that I was away from home. I stayed home for college. My siblings are much younger than I am. So I was kind of a permanent babysitter from the age of 10 to 21 and very involved in my family because they were so young. Um, And so when I went to law school, I moved across the country, left California, went to Harvard. That was the only reason I moved so far away (laughs) because I got into Harvard Law School. Otherwise, I probably would have stayed local. And I think that happens to a lot of um, children of immigrants. There's really an expectation that we stay at home. Uh, so for me, that was really the first time that I got to figure out how to be myself by myself and self-express. And like most people, I think I kind of overcorrected at first, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I had a really good time learning who this new me was during law school. Decided after law school that I wanted to live in New York for just a few years was the plan. Ended up there for 10 years. <laughs> Uh, went to a big law firm because they were throwing tons of money at us. And I really didn't know what else I wanted to do. This is also part of the reason why I ended up in law school. I knew that obviously there were other options in the world, but nothing was really clear to me as something that I was excited about or that was the best way to channel my gifts and my talents and my interests. Um, I didn't really feel like I had that many interests yet. I had It had always been school. I was good at school. <laughs> this is my thing. I didn't spend a lot of time on other things. So I ended up at a big law firm in New York City, and that was uh, quite challenging and frankly traumatizing. Very, very intense uh, corporate environment with a lot of really, really smart people who, in my opinion, even at that time, were being underutilized. I remember feeling very strongly at that time that my talents were being wasted, and so were everyone else's. There's so many smart people who worked so hard to get here, and 
we're running them into the ground with working 100 hour weeks on something that most of them are not particularly passionate about. Yeah, what an unfortunate common story in corporate, whether it's in law or otherwise. It's such an it's such a waste of efficiency and cre- and actually really, as you know firsthand, adds to that burnout feature. Yes, I think I'm still recovering from the burnout from that specific job more than anything. Uh, and finally, maybe getting to the end of that particular recovery around the burnout and regaining my energy and creativity to put into other things finally. But for so long, um, and I ended up staying there about five years. I never intended to stay that long, but you know how it happens in the city, the momentum of the city and the momentum of the job. But I do remember that being the first time that it was very clear to me how misaligned it was. I knew that I wasn't going to want to stay there forever, but really witnessing it firsthand, witnessing the low morale, the the soul crushing nature of a lot of this. And like I said, not just for myself, but seeing it in other people and watching their light be dimmed. I knew then that that was not right. That's not what I wanted to do. But I was a very, very young attorney. I was about 24 when I started. And I didn't feel like what I had to say was received. (laughs) There wasn't a space for it to be heard. It seems so obvious to me that even from the company perspective, if you want the best work product, don't you think that people need to sleep (laughs) to be able to function properly? Like things like that. And um, it seemed really obvious, but the response was often, this is how it is. This is how the system works. This is how law firms work. This is how corporate world works. Deal with it or leave. Mm. So it's, it's clear that, and again, with corporate in general, is that there's just this really unhealthy culture scape, first of all. And I have a couple of follow-up questions that are sort of quick. So I think I'll just put them together and I can repeat if it isn't easy to go that way. But about how many hours a day would you say on average that you'd work? And I don't mean just billable hours, but like in general, the total hours. And did it feel like um, like a family in the sense of these other people that you were seeing um, go through this with you, the, these other underutilized people? Did Was there this, sort of this sense of camaraderie and then maybe also saying, all right, well, if I leave, they're still in it. How, how did that all work in terms of your your peership in this mm. environment? The hours were brutal, but very cyclical, actually. This is something that maybe people don't know, is often, um, whether you're a litigation attorney or a corporate attorney, it can be very like feast and famine, where, and the feast is not a feast, it's more like (laughs) gorging yourself. Um, There'll be these deals that for two or three months, you're working maybe 15 hour days for a big chunk of that, for three, four weeks at a time, sometimes, especially at the end, Um, including at least one weekend day usually working both weekend days, but the average hours for the week. So we would bill sometimes a hundred hour weeks or more. And, um, and then the deal would close and you'd be relieved for like a day because you got to rest. But then there's the anxiety that comes in of, oh, but I'm not getting another deal yet. How long is this going to go on? If I don't get one soon enough, then I, even though I just worked 15 hours a day for the last two months, I might not hit my hours goal for the year. And so there was just this constant anxiety around it no matter what. Uh, So you really couldn't even enjoy your downtime. And I think in terms of the community there and the, whether it felt like a family, I think in so many ways it did, but not necessarily in a really loving, comforting way. Like, oh, these are my people and I got to look out for them and they're looking out for me. But definitely that experience, having a shared experience was certainly something that was happening. And because we were all spending all of our time there, that also is where my entire social life began to exist too, to the extent I had one. So I remember one night I was there on Saturday night working and my boyfriend at the time and my best friend at the time were also in the office working. (laughs) And I remember thinking, well, at least I'm not missing anything specific on the outside that I know of because the people I know are here too. Mm. It's also really sad. I'm like, oh, this is what it has become. The fact that I'm here all the time is now being reflected back to me in my life, that the people around me are also the people who are kind of stuck doing the same thing. Wow. So when I left, I really didn't uh, look back. And even now as a coach, I think about how much I would have loved to have coaching 
and that kind of support when I was in that environment. And yet I've really had to be working through my own trauma around those experiences in order to be open to going back and helping the people who are still there. That makes so much sense that it would be triggering, basically a trigger response by helping people. Um, A big question that came up for me is even though now you can look back and know it would have been so helpful to have a coach, would you have felt you had the time or space to have a coach? That is a great question. No. (laughs) The story of most people in that situation is anytime you try to suggest anything that might improve their lives, it doesn't feel possible when you're there. Even people saying that we should set boundaries with our bosses. We would laugh them out of the room. We're like, you don't understand what it's like in the law firm. We cannot do that. Like, you, don't not an option. you don't get me. You don't get me. So like, I'm like, this isn't working. It's like, even if you got to the point of coaching with them, what if, what if you, what if you brought it into, what if your firm said that they wanted to do this because they wanted to have a more wellness approach to their company culture? You know, I do think that there are some companies and maybe even some law firms who are doing that today. And I really honor that. And I'm so excited that the intent is there. And I think that it will really help some people. And there's always certain limitations within that environment anyways, even with the resources. Sometimes I find that when companies um, provide work-life balance type resources Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be a little bit for show and doesn't necessarily they have to also be creating the opportunities on the back end to implement those right so they can hire a life coach and have them in there but if the culture of the firm is still how dare you ask for a saturday off to go to your best friend's wedding (laughs) then like it doesn't matter what the coach is telling you there's certain things that that it will help with um with how to approach it but uh i think that maybe the reason a lot of firms are afraid to do that is because it would lead a lot of people to realize that they don't want to be there. Right. And that they have other options. That's okay. So twofold here. This is really interesting. I never thought about this before, but high end restaurant work is so similar to the culture in the law firm that you're expressing. I I never thought about that, but as I'm metabolizing your story, like, oh my gosh, I missed my college graduation because I was working and couldn't take it off. I met, you know, they just, you can only go away when the restaurant's closed if you're doing this professionally um, versus just having it be a little tiny part-time job during college or something. Um, so that's really interesting to me. And I think this, this idea of the the company culture it really has to be I mean it it doesn't you can't have the wellness if there really isn't the support behind it if there really isn't the okay let's take every even gamifying it like you'll actually get you'll get further ahead or you'll get a bonus or you'll get something if you clock in an hour every week with your life coach and, mm-hmm. and really, really want the employees to do it versus it just being this lip service that I think is all across corporate America of, oh, these are our values. But if you ask the employees, they're like, no, this isn't it. Um, I do think that some companies are doing this. A lot of them are women owned or, mm-hmm. or women as the you know CEOs, CFOs and all of that. So that's interesting. Now, what I really want to know is how did you get out of this? What did you do to either realize it or just take that leap? It was a bit of a long journey, but I knew from day one at the law firm that I didn't want to be there. It took me almost five years to get out and to transition to in-house work, which basically was buying my life back, taking a salary cut in order to have more regular hours. And, but I was still in New York city. I went to go work for an online brand and, um, and then I ended up actually at Shazam, the music recognition app as my second in-house job. And it was so much, much better hours, but we're still in New York. Things are pretty fast paced. Um, Shazam ended up being purchased by Apple during the time that I was there. So we ended up working on that deal and it was, it was a lot, but for the most part, that job was what I had said I wanted. And so now I was at this moment of having made it through law school and the law firm and escaped into what I thought was the end game coming out of that. When I was in law school, I started to hear about what some of my options were. And I decided that what I wanted to be was an in-house attorney for a brand, a recognizable brand. 
uh, something that I use myself. <laughs> and um, I don't know if I had specified that I wanted to be living in a big city, but I wanted to be in a relationship, have a nice apartment, like all of these things. I remember being at Shazam, I think in my second year there, and looking around and realizing that I had asked for everything that I'd gotten. Everything that was around me were things that I had asked for at one point or another. And I wasn't happy. Is that the first time you recognized um, manifesting something that you had asked for? I think it really was. Yes. I remember that moment as being so clear as this turning point when I realized, oh, I get the things that I ask for. I just have to ask for different things now. <laughs> like I asked for all of these things because I thought that this was the best thing that was possible. I don't think I ever thought that it was what really lit me up, even from the moment I asked for it to begin with. When I first formulated this idea of what my future job would be, and that was my ideal as an attorney, but I didn't really actually ever want to be a lawyer that much. I was never that excited about the law or about being a lawyer. I just thought that this was the best within that framework of what I could get. So that's what I asked for. And yeah, I was really excited to realize that I have this ability to steer my life. If there's certain things that I point towards and I say that I want them, the likelihood of them arriving is high. So where do I want to point myself? And that really was the the first time that I thought about that. And after the Apple deal closed, we were all kind of in this limbo. Um, I was almost 99% positive that they were definitely closing the New York office, which they did end up doing. And so I was already open to other opportunities. And I had been talking at that time about wanting to get into the cannabis industry. And for a long time, I thought that that wasn't going to be possible in New York, that I was going to have to move back to the West Coast. And in my personal life, that wasn't really something I was open to in the moment. But I did start talking about it. I had kind of started putting it out there to the world a little bit. This opportunity sort of landed in my lap because of that. A friend of a friend had worked it for a cannabis company in New York. And they said, oh, Farah mentioned that she wants to work for a cannabis company. She's an attorney. I said, oh, well, we need another attorney soon. So cool. this was really the beginning of thinking about, well, what is it that actually excites me? What is something that I'm really interested in? How can I fold that into the law? But that was still sort of a Band-Aid. <laughs> I was kind of trying to attach uh, other things I liked to this thing that I didn't like, hoping that it would make it better. But this was the process. I feel like that's the entire arc from like law firm to in-house to cannabis company was trying to make these adjustments. How do I change what I think about it, what I think is bothering me about it? <laughs> the thing, the part of it that feels challenging and that feels misaligned. Can we just change that one little part? Uh, I wasn't ready to throw the whole legal career in the in the trash yet. <laughs> well, it sounds like, honestly, it sounds like a really wise and brave as well as safe approach to this. I mean, I think that we all have our different comforts. Like some people want to totally quit, start something new. Some people want something new before the end. There's all this advice around this, but I really think that it's a personalized um, journey, really. And it's making me, you know, of course I have lots of cooking analogies for life. And so it's making me think where you like temper something. So if you're going to add hot liquid into egg yolks, you're not going to add it all at once. You're going to add a little of the hot butter, for example, the same is true on the, on the, the outgoing. Um, and I know like people put, if they burn themselves, they put like ice or really cold water, but aside from like, I don't know, you've been burnt by like full on fire type of thing. It's actually better to take your hand and put it near something hot or hot water and kind of start to pull it away and put it so that you're taking that heat and you're slowly cooling it down rather than all at once. I think that's kind of what you did. I think as a lawyer, I was very risk averse and that's a common, common thing in my profession. And I think in general, in the corporate world, making that shift can feel really scary and so I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do it that way for sure. It sounds good. And also within your own, your own um, family culture. So, and then specifically this industry. Oh yes. Just this move alone was very controversial with my parents. Um, I was working for a very big company in New York that was publicly traded in Canada, multi-state operator. They own cannabis operations in at least 15 states now. 
And it was a lot of, you know, bankers in suits. But my parents, in their mind, I don't know what kind of the job they thought that I was taking, but they were disappointed in me, honestly. And I felt like it was something that I had to do, though. It was calling me. I had another job opportunity, actually, at the time with Airbnb in San Francisco. I just decided, like, I have to do this. I have to do this thing that I'm actually excited about, that I love talking about. I have a personal relationship with cannabis and plant medicines overall. And being in the industry is, I would say, the turning point for me in allowing myself to spend more and more of my time with my interests, with my true interests and finding my people through that. That opened the door for me more than anything. That job itself did a little bit of it, but because I was officially in the industry is really when I got into the cannabis community on Instagram. I created an account and I started sharing publicly about cannabis, which was something that I didn't feel safe to do before that. Oh yeah. And that I think is where the real turning point of my life came that has led me here, honestly. That's amazing. So how long ago did you not start that job, but leave that job? So I left that job in 2019 and in 2020, I took one more legal job in the cannabis industry in Southern California. So I left New York, I went to California and because of COVID and lockdown, that job ended up only lasting about eight months. Um, So that was a real transition period. And, but because I had integrated myself into the cannabis industry online, I, my next opportunities and the things that I was exploring came from that. That's so cool. That's so cool. And then I know you spent some time kind of bouncing around a little bit. Um, yeah. Which I obviously find exciting as I'm a nomad at heart. Um, it was the most like adventurous. Influence? Yeah. It was definitely the most adventurous time of my life. I That job ended uh, in California. Uh, towards the end of 2020. And I got this opportunity to go to Mexico through the cannabis industry because I was online. Some of my friends knew about this transition that I was going through. And one of my friends actually called me and said, I think you're the only person I know who might actually be available to go do this right now, to go stay in Mexico with an apothecary who needed some assistance because she had injured herself. And she was really looking for a young woman in the cannabis industry who wanted to learn how to make cannabis medicine and other herbal medicines. And so I got to go and I actually ended up spending about a year and a half uh, hopping around between Mexico, just about an hour south of the border in Baja, California. And my parents were in Southern California at the time. So I was sort of able to flow between the two and I started house sitting in Mexico. And that was really my nomad era for sure. And there was huge lessons in learning how to just flow, you know, even when you go on vacation somewhere, a lot of people have reflected back to me that any kind of travel is a lesson in learning to let go of control, that things just happen while you're there and you got to go with the flow. And Mexico was very much that, you know, you cannot control the schedules or the plans. Things will happen when they happen or they won't. And you just got to trust that every single day you're going to show up and have a day. You're going to have an amazing day no matter what but you don't know what direction it's going to go in. And this was right around the time of my spiritual awakening. There were a lot of opportunities for healing there. There were a lot of healers. Um, In the year and a half that I was there, I ended up doing two big plant medicine ceremonies and psychedelic ceremonies. And I think all of the work together combined the things I was going through in my personal life, this big transition of trying to figure out what it is that I really wanted to do. I had taken this leap off of the cliff of the safety of corporate income and really hadn't landed anywhere on the other side yet. This was just the free fall period, it felt like sometimes. What a juxtaposition, man. Like, I can't even, if you didn't do that tempering out of the highly corporate lawyer stuff that you were doing. Um, do you even think you would have taken this leap? Like if it had come three or four years earlier, like before you got into the cannabis? Um... That's a great question because I think that it's so easy for us to wish that we had started earlier. Mm-hmm. When I think about where I am now and the way that I'm trying to live my life now and the things I'm creating, there's a little part of me that wishes I had done it sooner. But when I really think about it, I was not ready. I wasn't Mm -hmm. ready yet. 
And even now, I think that I can apply that to the present moment when I think about my business and what I'm creating. And I see very much that it has to happen at the pace that it wants to happen. I have to let my nervous system capacity expand with my external world. But if you try to do too fast too soon, it can be really jarring and terrifying. Like I just wasn't ready. Yeah, I absolutely understand that. I was talking to another one of our colleagues um, a month or so ago. And we were talking about the idea that there's, you know, the destiny versus free will. And sometimes I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to get to that point that we know we're going to arrive to, whether it's through our higher self or our cognitive mind, but we don't know what it's going to take to get from here to there. And so either we can go, whatever, I'm just going to make it kind of linear, but we can go, you know, left or right to get to the same destination. But if in this case, if I think about it, if you went, well, we'll just say the right way. Um, and I didn't mean right to wrong, but we'll take that as the right way for you. But also, so you took the right path. If you had tried to do this sooner, who knows what could have happened? It could have made so much more um, friction for you, actually. So I think it's super amazing that you really allowed yourself to go in that pace and the fact that you're using it to reflect now, because I think we all fall under this of I'm not getting there fast enough. Yes. And then once we have some space, we realize, oh, well, I, I needed to do that to get here. I needed to go through that version of it. I really feel that about my entire life in New York. Um, there was so much about it that honestly, in the moment, it I was enjoying it. But when I reflect back on it, I see how much I was limiting myself and how much I didn't, I wasn't truly in love with my life. I built this life and I felt like it was pretty good. And so I should keep it going. Yeah. Right. But it wasn't super exciting. And I think I needed to do those things. I could not have skipped that step because in my mind, those were the things that I thought were going to make me happy. I thought that this high paying job at a recognizable brand and having a partner and having a nice home and a social life and living in a big city and going to nice restaurants. I thought all of that was going to make me happy. And I would not know what was missing if I hadn't lived that life. I feel very much like I got to check that box. And it is the same reason why I feel a little bit bold with my parents about it, because I'm like, guys, I did everything you wanted me to do. And then I stopped doing those things. And now I've moved on to what I wanted to do. But like, I tried it your way is yeah. kind of how I feel. So I feel like they can't. Uh, that is my armor for anything that they say to me about, you know, that I should still be there because I know deep down that I that that is not true, that I should not be there because I did it. I had to do it to know for sure. I feel like if I hadn't, there are certain things in our lives that we can know are not for us without trying them. But these were definitely things that I think I needed to experience to fully embody this knowledge of discovering what was missing and why it's worth the discomfort of following this other path. Um, yeah, makes, I think that's the big one. That makes a lot of sense to me because it's like, I, I see the alternative, you know, going the other, the other way, right. Not listening to the parents doing whatever you could have, like, I don't know, followed some band around or lived in the rainbow community or whatever. Um, but I could see how sitting here at the same age, you might, especially under the familiar, the family pressure, it could be like, oh, maybe I did that wrong. But now you're sitting here and you're like, no, I did this right. Like it, it's super clear to me that yes, this is where I needed to end up being. But if I tried that in the beginning, I might be sitting here without so much confidence. But now, you know, you did it. You did the work. You didn't like it whatever. Um, you also have all that experience from it, which is nice as well in terms of your new career and where you're going um, to really be able to help people, which I think is amazing. So um, I'd love to talk a little bit um, about that before we get off is just what is what is your plan? How are you helping people? Um, where can not not where can people find you? We'll deal with that later. Um, but like in what capacity? can people look forward to um, in utilizing your services and the knowledge that you gain through your own life experience? 
you know, I've experienced so many different things at this point. I'm a human design line three, which is all about trial and error, which when I first heard that, I was very uh, disheartened. (laughs) I did not want that to be the case. I said, no, I just want to do things perfectly the first time. But (laughs) since learning this about myself, I have really been able to observe how this has been true in my life already, that being willing to try different things and having experienced them and then moved on has been so powerful. And so because of that, I find that with my clients, I really am able to create a customized experience for each person and find which, which part of my path resonates with them, what part of what they're experiencing might I be able to understand. And then really bringing us back to feeling our feelings has kind of become the core of a lot of my work when, we, when I come into play and wanting to encourage people to learn what feels joyful for them what their intuition is telling them, what those little tugs are of what to pursue next, what to explore. That's really where the magic is. And you can't learn how to identify what things are joyful for you if you don't know how to feel your feelings and identify your feelings. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what's like under that so that we can get to this place of, well, these are the things that actually light me up. Like, how do you know what things excite you and light you up if you kind of turn down the volume on all of your feelings in your life. And so I found that that's kind of something that's emerged as the first step with a lot of people. And I really, I have a few different services that we'll talk about at the end, but um, my favorite is really getting to work with people one-on-one for a long amount of time. If we can do at least three months there's such an opportunity to learn a lot through conversation and help reveal to people what it is that their intuition is telling them. Like, I don't have the answers. I've experienced all these things. And so I'm a good mirror. (laughs) I I have an opportunity to reflect back to people a lot of different parts of themselves. But it's really about helping people figure out what it is that is the most true for them. What is it that they actually really want to do? And now looking back on myself 10 years ago, I realized that that was there under the surface. I just didn't know how to get to it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I have a few key takeaways from that. I think this is like one of the big differences between being a coach and like being a therapist um, or a teacher even is the fact that we know that it's each of us as individuals that have our own answers, but it is helpful to have those mirrors and for people to have a space to be able to share and feel understood based on your own experience and, and knowing that somebody else maybe walked that path before them is such a valuable um, lesson. And then when you said about the line three and how at first you're like, darn it, I don't want this to be my human design. I have felt that way about so many parts of my human design, but only to realize that it gave me um, permission And with you in this line three, what came up for me was the play aspect. That is actually the essence and the foundation of play is being able to try and see what you like. So that seems Mm -hmm. really perfectly aligned for where you're Mm -hmm. headed in this journey. Absolutely. And I did really start, you know, thinking about that as well and how the play starts to come in. I think about the ways that I started to sneak in play, even when I was at the law firm, I started to dress in fun ways. I started, that was when I started to buy all these printed outfits. I'm wearing a strawberry dress today and I would theme outfits from head to toe. I would wear the strawberry dress and I would buy little strawberry earrings and then wear a blazer over it and a pencil skirt on the bottom. (laughs) But I was starting to sneak myself in there. And so there's always room for both. And there's this duality, you know, that was like the hardest time of my life in my career. And naturally there were these ways that wanted to come in. And so the more that I could actually pay attention to that and notice that that was a real part of me, like wanting to be seen and express and allowing that in whatever way was possible in that moment really was this gateway. And the cannabis was the other one, right? In so many ways, it opened my mind, it opened my community. And those were the things that I was taught to fear as a child. My parents are still very anti-cannabis. But learning to be open and play with these tools and see what other parts of my brain wanted to be explored. It allowed me this childlike wonder and uh, being silly in ways that I think were very, that I had stifled myself for for Mm -hmm. a long time. Yeah, I understand that. And I think just to, um, to 
bring this up to the audience, to bring this up into conversation is when I think about the two cultures that your parents came from, it makes a lot of sense why they would be fearful of cannabis, even, even though it's plant medicine and it's not synthetically manipulated. It's like super just like I can pick it from the earth and utilize it. It does make sense. And so I love the fact that you are able to live in a culture and, you know, live in the United States where we are destigmatizing this and being able to kind of break down some of those generational fears. Like this really is, they, I'm sure they would literally were fearful over this, not that they were, I mean, it comes out as judgment, but the root of that is, oh my gosh, this could like ruin my daughter's life. Right. Um, in, in any variety of ways. Um, so that's, that's just something interesting, I think, for Absolutely. people to take it. And it's account, very right? deep seated. And I got to spend a lot of time. I was home for all of 2020, actually. Mm. <laughs> we were all literally home in that house, me and my siblings and my parents. And I was working in the cannabis industry in two different capacities at that time. Um, and working from the backyard all day, every day, and consuming with my friends and my colleagues online. And I think that we made some progress. I really got to understand a little bit more of why my parents are so fearful. There's definitely some internalized racism on my mom's side that I noticed. You know, her impression of what kind of Mexican she does not want to be perceived as. Mm -hmm. And um, all of that has just been so eye-opening for me and really giving me a lot of patience to work through it with them as well. But um, also a mission of wanting to show them this alternative and not just them, but there's so many other people that don't have this exposure to productive cannabis consumers. And ever since I entered the industry and the community, that is what I see, especially women. I see so many women who are doing so many different things, so incredible, really smart, really capable, and cannabis is supporting them and doing all of this. During 2020, I had a very productive year. I was doing so many different um, workshops online. Like I said, I was working in two different capacities in the industry. And my mom was still very judgmental about my cannabis use. And I remember I said to her one day, you've been watching me for the last eight months. I'm here. I'm doing all these things. I'm working out every day. I'm working a job. I'm expanding my knowledge base. I'm doing personal development. What is it? that you think the cannabis is doing to me that is negative? What negative impact do you see in my life? Is there something that I am not accomplishing or have not accomplished in my life that you think is related to this cannabis use? Or even separate from that, what is it that I have not accomplished in my life yet? <laughs> and she didn't have a lot to say to that. So it's mm -hmm. a process, but it has really um, been such a powerful tool to, like I said, open my mind and reconnect me to play and what's so interesting to me as a coach is that play is different for everybody so yeah. it's something I'm very curious about and I'm excited about like I'd love to hear from you what is something that feels playful for you or puts mm. you in that mindset that's a great question so I've been not using cannabis a lot lately but I I have used it extensively um this is going to lead into your question but also from your your comments um, I had a, I had a battle my dad with this when I first admitted to him that I smoked, um, or ate or whatever, that it was involved in my life. Um, he essentially thought I was like on heroin. He called it dope. There was no distinction between heroin and cannabis, like in his mind. Um, and it was all, that's when I realized it's like, it's out of fear. It's out of fear. You know, you care for your child, blah, blah. So that was an interesting journey that we've been through. And now, now it's just a joke. Like he doesn't care. I have a stash at his house for when I visit. So I don't have to travel with it. Like it's totally normalized in our relationship at this point, but that's taken probably a decade and a half, like literally <laughs> to get to. So it has been a journey, but in terms of play um, and certainly I would say with cannabis, it's interesting because I, I used to, it helped me with migraines, which I've gotten under control on my own now. It helped me um, medicate for ADHD without being on some pharmaceutical prescription. Um, but then sometimes it was just fun and giggly and this and that. But aside from that, I think for me, my biggest ways of play, I just, I love to laugh. So I like to make jokes. 
nature. I feel just like a little child when I'm in nature. That's my biggest place to just show up and, mm-hmm. and be fun or swim or just do things where it's not about what is this pressure to succeed? Like I saw this post the other day and it really resonated with me. I think I shared it even, but it's like food is free. Water is free. Nature is free. We're taught that this isn't, and we live in a construct where it isn't free. So anytime I can kind of just touch back into what is our um, birthright, anything Mm. that really is just for us to play with. Um, I have this bush outside of my house that I, um, the pollinators come to, and I know you've seen these with the hummingbirds and whatnot. I just get so um, joy filled and giddy. And Mm. I feel like as adults, that's, that's a place where a lot of adults don't let themselves go, which to me just symbolizes play, even though it's not necessarily physical play. Mm -hmm. I love hearing about other people's play because I feel it. I feel the feeling as you're describing it. And then it reminds me even more of what things in my life make me feel that way. Uh, For me, what's coming up is dress up. I love dressing up, whether it's a costumey outfit or just getting fancy to go out. And I love seeing other people dress up. I went to um, offer fairy hair. I do this hair tinsel uh, as one of my expressions of play. I get to dress Mm -hmm. up as a fairy and adorn people. And I went to the Taylor Swift concert. I didn't have tickets. I just went outside (laughs) to offer fairy hair. And the joy that was on my face all day, seeing everyone's outfits. I don't think I've experienced that much like outfit dopamine in one day ever. But it was so fun. And, you know, there were a couple of hours that like I didn't have any customers. I was just sitting there like on the lawn watching people walk by and taking pictures of people's outfits. And I'm like, oh, my God, look at that. Look at that. And I was by myself. So I wasn't talking to anybody. But I'm like, that outfit is amazing. I need that, too. And it's just such a way that has extended into other ways of adorning myself. The henna, the fairy hair, like it's all part of decorating myself and expressing my artistic side in this way that I was disconnected to from so long that I thought that I wasn't artistic at all. And now yeah, it's just bursting out of me. <laughs> yeah, I would, this is what I was going to say. You have really fully embodied this and it's clear by your aesthetic that you love dressing up and your, um, I think it was a live that I saw last week where you had this like beautiful peacock dress on and that was amazing. And I love the strawberry dress today as well. And just your stories around all of that. And I think this this whole thing about the going to the parking lot at a concert is such a really good tip because sometimes people, you know, who knows, maybe you don't have three hours or maybe it's not your favorite band or your favorite singer or whatever, but parking lot scene, which really became big in like the grateful Dead era. Like they brought this, like there's so many people that followed them around and didn't even go into the shows. What a fun reminder, because I was thinking about doing this to um, for a, a band that's playing at this, uh, like state fair thing that's coming up in September. And I was like, it's really worth it to me to spend like a hundred bucks a ticket. Like, I'm just not sure that it feels that way, but I'm like, I know darn well that I can stand like right behind that experience it. I don't need to be in the sea. It's okay. So I think this isn't, I wasn't sure what my decision was going to be, but you sharing your experience at Taylor, Taylor Swift reminded me like, okay, that is what I'm going to do. Um, there so was I, such a scene outside. So <laughs> many people were there and just listening to the concert outside, hanging out with each other. And then somebody else mentioned to me that um, Fish is going to be here in town next weekend doing four nights and that oh, there cool. is a really big vendor parking lot scene. Yes. And that I should go. So I am trying to... Um, think about whether I'm going to do that. It does require like hyping myself up a little bit. Like I get nervous about it because I don't know. I don't know these people. Like I, I'm not a fish fan. I've been to these concerts before. I've been learning a little bit about the jam band concept mm-hmm. and it does take a lot of bravery for me to just say, okay, I'm going to go take my fairy hair stuff, put on some wings and walk around in front of all these people. I don't know. And have an experience. Wow. You know, you just, you're lit up right now. So audience, she is like beaming. And I love the fact that I think that you brought up such a good point. It's like, it does take bravery. And I always talk about like nervousness as the opposite side. It's the same coin, but the opposite side of excitement. So nervousness and excitement and kind of the same thing with this, this bravery. Um, I can just so see you there. And I'm obviously not going to tell you what to do, but I highly encourage you to take that leap again. You 
saw how well it worked out at the um the other concert and the fish community is so like loving and wholesome it seems like a really good fit for what you do and what i know about it i haven't followed them around but they've been around for i don't know three decades now and it's just such a good like all loving vibe i feel like you'd fit in super well even though that's not your like necessarily your music scene um, it feels like it'd be perfect for you. So I want to get into more about what the services you are offering is. Um, obviously, you just mentioned one about doing a fairy hair in person. And I happen to know that you are starting your product business with this as well, which is really exciting for anybody out there that knows nothing about this, um, because it can be sort of daunting to to know what to choose. I mean, the world's our oyster on the internet, but it doesn't mean that people necessarily know if they're going to get a good product or have an expert in that. And then also your coaching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a lot of different things I can run through quickly <laughs> because this is part of that lawyer to multi-passionate fairy. As mm-hmm. soon as I started following my interest, it really has moved in so many different directions. And in this moment, I'm really embracing that and following my joy, following the tugs of the things that want to show up for me and offering them to people. And if there are people who are here for it, then I can expand in that and keep going. So um, so I mentioned the one-on-one coaching packages that I offer. Uh, that's a three-month journey that's customized to the client. That one is really, it needs to be a fit both ways. So for that, I really encourage anybody who feel like they resonated with me and the way that I share uh, my experiences and stories and lessons to like reach out to me because I just love having conversations with people who we click. And that's really what the coaching is. It's like that one-on-one mentorship. But I'm also now offering these one-hour fairy guidance readings um, these are really kind of a chance to experience experience my coaching on an a la carte basis. It's sort of a hybrid coaching tarot reading um, and maybe astrology sometimes. I really use the tarot and sometimes astrology or other tools that are coming up to discover together what your intuition already knows. And we can kind of explore specific questions or situations. And those can be on an ongoing basis too, but those are great because you can just book them one at a time instead of committing to a full package. But I find that the experience tends to be fairly similar as we're getting to the core, core issues. Um, and then in that vein, I'm also doing astro- uh, individual and sinistry astrology readings. So the individual readings are like birth chart readings, telling people about their placements. And then the sinistry readings are really interesting because it's two people's charts together. So it's really great for any relationships, any romantic relationships, um, maybe you with a parent, you with a child, a family members, roommates, uh, things like that. We can even do up to three people. So I have a lot of fun doing that and just learning a little bit more. Um, and then in a different vein, I am also offering plant medicine and psychedelic consultations, especially around cannabis science. I have a lot of knowledge of how of cannabis science and like how it works in your body, uh, the terpenes, the cannabinoids, all this thing. It can be different consumption methods. And I just love being able to give people a little bit of advice and guidance just based on my own experience and helping them again, using their intuition, but teaching them what tools they can use to guide them to uh, the experience that they're, they're hoping for. And then in person, I'm applying the fairy hair as we talked about. And as an extension of that, for people who aren't able to come get the service from me in person, I have started selling clip-in fairy hair bundles. So those are great for festivals or events. And, you know, with a lot of the physical products that I offer, it's really about using these things as a tool for intention setting. So with the fairy hair, I really like to do that. And then even with the bundles, there's it comes with little instructions that you can do that yourself too and set an intention. Uh, I started making some jewelry <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. I'm selling that as well. And those are also about intention setting. They're crystal ear cuffs. So depending on the stone, the meaning, you can put one on. I'm actually wearing a couple today. Um, I, today I put on um, one for speaking my truth. So it's just a nice way to think in the morning as I'm adorning myself about what my intention is for the day, how I want to show up today. And then I'm also doing henna and I mix my own henna combs. I sell them and I also use henna to set intentions. (laughs) So that is the theme there. And these are all ways that I love to play. So it's really broad range right now. And I'm just trusting the process and sharing all of this because I find that as people are interested in one, they're sometimes interested in more than one. And it's just really fun to uh, come play in this ecosystem of all these little different things that I'm creating. 
really love all of this so much. I'm excited for all of your projects. And I can definitely attest to the fact that you know a lot about astrology. And I think that is super cool. I love the, especially the, um, the combination of, you know, whether you're trying to find a roommate or a partner or, you know, is this person just like a miss for me or even, even in like relationship help of understanding the person you're with, whether it's a partnership or a friendship. Um, and I think that what I really want to say to you is that, so you've brought art into your life in all of these ways. And I even mentioned it being on your body and it being your canvas, but also I think everything that you're bringing in your business, it's like a collage of who you are as a person. And I think that that's very beautiful. And it's also inspiring. Um, it's so easy for people to put themselves in different boxes and feel like, oh, you know, this question, oh, what do you do? And then somebody's like, they give their career or this or that. It's just like one thing. And it's like, no, we're multifaceted human beings. It's about gosh darn time that people normalize this and destigmatize. I'm just a set of four things. No, you're amazing. And so just because somebody might, you know, not want astrology, who cares? Maybe they want one-on-one -on -one coaching or maybe through that one-on-one -on -one coaching, they're like, you know what? I want to go to work with some sparkles in my hair. Like I'm in corporate, but I need to start speaking my individual unique truth. Um, so I think it's just a really beautiful package together. And um, as a fellow coach, I would encourage you to just um, keep going with this excitement that I see you beaming in and not worry about like, you know, fitting inside of a box because, you know, you're a work of art. Thank you. I do truly feel that I am at a point that there's no going back. Even if I wanted to, I just can't. Like I've expanded outside of the box and you can't shove me back in. <laughs> so yes. I have to accept the joys and the discomforts that come with um, choosing this path. Uh, but like I said earlier, I think it really was like having that other experience to know why I want to do these hard things. It's just a matter of choosing like which challenges you are willing to face and move through, which discomforts are you willing to tolerate because of what's on the other side of it. I could have chosen to keep slaving away at the law firm. That's hard. And I knew how it felt. I knew the things that I didn't enjoy about it. Now life is also still challenging, right? There are moments where I'm feeling really discouraged or really scared about what's coming up ahead. And I have had moments where I'm like, is this really the path that I want? Does the other path feel easier? And then I remember how it felt. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that was also uncomfortable. And there wasn't a lot of positive or aligned things that were coming out of that discomfort. Whereas this discomfort is also extremely challenging. But every time I move through these challenges, I feel so fulfilled and rewarded with what's on the other side, which is usually greater self-expression, being even more myself and even more in alignment with the things that I really want to do and show up for. So even just like being seen on Instagram, <laughs> posting more on Instagram or sharing more of my story or talking vulnerably about these things can be scary or going to a concert <laughs> can feel kind of intimidating and scary. I really feel so fulfilled by what I get out of that and like overcoming these challenges and being even more expanded in myself. So it's just a matter of which one do you want to do? There are different paths available and there aren't necessarily better than the other, but where, where is your heart calling you to what feels the most aligned and exciting and terrifying? <laughs> I love that. I think that it's such important messaging for people to understand and know that life isn't just this destination, it's the journey. And that journey is going to include ups and downs and not just the downs so that you can appreciate the ups, which I know people talk about a lot. And I'm not saying that there isn't truth in that, but just the idea that having these ups and downs is part of, um, part, part of the amazing dramatic experience it is to have the human experience. And um, I think that it it's really important for us to share that there is this, there is these ups and downs. We're going through it too. Even though we're professionals in, in different professions, um, we also, we have experiences where it's not always just amazing. Right. And, and that's normal and being able to um, be out there and normalize this in your beautiful way. And I think specifically those of us that are getting out there on Instagram and those of us that are 
you know, using social platforms to help influence people in positive ways um, to let them know that it's messy sometimes. And so they're not thinking, oh, gosh, I'm doing this wrong. It's like, no, the mess is part of the beauty of it. So I really, really appreciate you sharing that part of your story with us. Now, where can, which is so important, where can people find you? The best place to find me is on Instagram. My handle is High Priestess Farah, like the tarot card. And it was originally a play on my cannabis <laughs> journey as well, because that was originally my cannabis account. Um, so yes, it is a combination of who I am now. And that is really where I'm sharing um, most of my services and current uh, life. <laughs> so come check me out over there and interact. And I love connecting with people. Instagram has truly changed my life. I've met some of the most aligned and amazing people through there. I want to continue doing that. That's so cool. I love that. Farah, thank you so much for coming today and sharing your story and your journey and the lessons you've learned and also just your super special skill set. Thank you so much, Brandy. It's so much fun in this conversation. And I just love this opportunity to reflect on my journey and share it and hear parts of yours. And I've really been enjoying your podcast. So thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Speak with Brandy B. Love and enjoy your day, your week, and I will be back soon.